I can't believe you didn't go flying today. So, anyway, are you planning to go tomorrow? Oh, you, oh, you're going on a night flight tomorrow. Well, praise the Lord, praise Him. Okay, good. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's get your swords out. And let's sharpen them up a little bit tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about Proverbs 23. We're going to, I was just talking to David and Donna there, and they said they've been studying so much in the Proverbs lately, this may be old hand to them. But it, it does have several chapters. And, uh, and the chapters that are in there, you can read it over and over and over, and every time you read it, you get something new out of it. So, again, you can never master this book. You may glean one or two or three things out of this chapter 23 or however far we get tonight. But we're going to start in 23. I've done a series, and I taught verse by verse, word by word, for the first 17 chapters of the book of Proverbs over an extended period of time. It took several months to do that for my radio shows at different times, and I would teach, you know, uh, for a week on them, you know, and then I'd go to something else and then come back in another week and or two weeks or three weeks and do another study on another chapter or two. I didn't want to just go day after day after day with Proverbs forever. I wanted to break it up. And it was amazing that I could take and read a chapter over and over and over preparing to teach word by word, read it King James, New King James, Living Bible, and then teach it and then have it on the air, and then one day I'm listening to one of myself, and I thought, that said that? And I went back over and looked, and I thought, I taught that, and I don't remember it. How can you lose it like that? But you can, can't you? You most definitely can. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, one more time, we're going to open your word and realize this book is your book. It's your word, and it means what it says, and it's up to us to obey what it says. So, Lord, I thank you that you are no respecter of persons and that you treat every one of us the same. That if we'll do what you say, you'll bless us. And, Lord, if not, we'll be cursed. But, Lord, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the blessings. I thank you for this written word that we've had the privilege to have. And there's not very many people on the world in the world that's had this privilege we've had to have this written word in so many different translations along with the Hebrew and Greek. So, Lord, bless it tonight as we study it and talk about it. And just open our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Listen to what it says there. It says, when you sit to eat with a ruler. In other words, you're going into a big, fine mansion here, a big, fine castle a big fine place, or a man of great wealth, when you set to eat with a ruler, it says, consider diligently what is before you. In other words, I, I love to, you know, I mean, when I, sometimes we go and we'll have something and we'll go to a, an event and the cell phones need to be turned off. <laughs> we already got one going off up here on the front row. But anyway, of course, that's just like a normal woman. She can't find it. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> can't find it. <laughs> got to unpack the suitcase to find it. That's normal. You know, that's normal. Oh, goodness. But when you, when you look and see what's set before you, 
you really don't have to go today the way we are set up. You really don't have to go to a ruler's or a, a prince or an authority or something. We in America have been so blessed with food. I mean, you can come in and sit down to a lot of average people's home, and they just got food from end to end. Is that right? I mean, just a lot of us were blessed like that the same way. You know, you can go home, and, and you may uh, have a bunch of stuff put together on the table when you come, and you think, wow, what, do, what am I going to eat here? There's so much. Well, let's see. Let me get a, this is sure good. I'll get a great big helping of this. And then you get over here a little while and say, I get a great big helping of this. And in a few minutes, this plate, you can't carry it. I know none of y'all ever had that problem besides me. You know, dipping it and dipping it, and then you think, oh, I should have only got half of that because I sure do want some of that, you know. And so, look what the Lord has to say. Consider what is set before you and then put a knife to your throat. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, no. Put a knife to your throat. If, if, look what he said, he always put this if in there. Now then, how many people have you ever seen could go sit down to a place like that and get a little helping of several things and have a small plate and go over there and sit down and eat and be comfortably full and get up and walk out of there not having somebody have to roll you out? You know, there is some people can do that, can't they? Yeah. It says, put a knife to your throat if. You be a man given to appetite. Now then, if you are a person given to appetite and you don't control your appetite or your diet, it will show up on you in all the wrong places. You know? I get tickled like one day there was a secretary that worked for us out there. She was a lovely lady. She was in the cafeteria there one day and she was eating a salad for dinner. And she said, I'm so hungry, I want more. I said, well, why don't you eat something else? She said, well, I, if I eat anything else, they put so much weight on me. She said, I just don't eat hardly anything, but I can't understand why I keep gaining weight. I thought, well, okay, well, today she's eating a salad. I will have said, that's all she, and it wasn't a very big one either. And that's all she ate. I thought, well, something wrong with this picture. So I didn't know, you know, I mean, I don't know anything, so I can't just jump in there and say, well, you obviously overeat sometimes, because I don't know. Because I've learned that most of the time, at least probably 90-something percent of the time, most people, if they eat right, you know, they don't have a problem with weight. You know, most people. Some do, but maybe if they're taking some kind of drugs or something, it might do that to you. But it wasn't but a few days or maybe a week or two or three I was sitting in there, and she was sitting there with one of the other ladies, and they were just talking after dinner, after the lunch or whatever it was. And she said, you know, I sat down last night to watch some movie at home. After I got home, I was so tired, and I got a half a gallon of Bluebell out. And she said, I had eaten well over half of that before I realized what I was doing. And I says, I can tell you what your problem is. The half a gallon of Bluebell sitting on that couch watching a television show, that's what's putting those pounds all over you. I said, you better, if you can't, 
control your appetite, the thing to do is not stop and get the bluebell. That's what you got to do. But now, if you're, the Lord's telling us here that if we sit down and look at all this good food that's set before us, if we're a person given to appetite and you can't control what you're doing, he said, then just consider putting a knife to your throat, cutting your throat, so nothing can go down. Wow. That's like a doctor. There's a lady doctor that I used to, years ago, it's been 20 years ago, you see this lady on TBN when I used to have time to watch TBN. I mean, I did take a little time to watch television years ago, but now I don't even have time for Christian television. But anyway, she said, I have always had trouble losing weight. And she was a fairly good-sized woman. I would say she weighed probably 200 pounds, if I was guessing. And she said, I've tried every diet known to man. And she said, nothing worked. So she said, one day I was just praying, talking to the Lord. And said, so I know it was... You're designed for me to be 200 pounds. And she said, he spoke to me. Now, she's telling this story on television. She said, the Lord spoke to me and says, no, my dear, I planned you and designed you to be 103 pounds. But because of your gluttonous appetite, you weigh 200. And she just was dumbfounded that the king would tell her the truth. Well, hey, if you ask him, he could very well tell you. And, of course, that's like a lot of other, a lot of the rest of us, we may want to know why we experience the things we experience in life. And we, ask, we may ask God why it is. And if God walks up to you like, like he did to Benny Hinn, when Benny Hinn couldn't make it, he started the ministry, and they didn't have any money. I mean, they ran out. They were down to less than $1,000. And he went and said, Lord... What is wrong? Why is it we can't have enough money coming in to meet the bills? We're out about your business. What's wrong? Lord, i got to know. And so after he was there on his knees praying, he got up and he left. And he said, I walked out to get in the elevator. And there was a man walked up. And he said, oh, by the way, aren't you Benny Hinn? He said, yes, sir. And that's back in the days when he was just getting started. So didn't everybody know him? He said, by the way, are you tithing off of your ministry? He said, I thought, it ain't none of your business whether I'm tithing or But I just kind of smiled and went on. He said, I go down the elevator, walk out to the car, and a guy walks up to me and said, oh, you're Benny Hinn. Where are you tithing off your ministry? He said, by this time, I didn't want to hear either one of these men. He said, I had just been up there on my knees asking God why my ministry didn't have no money coming in. And he sent two before I got to the car to tell me what my problem was. And I didn't want to hear it from either one of them. Now, that's the way we are. God will send somebody to tell you what your problem is. And you don't want to hear it. That happens to me pretty regular. But it happens to everybody. i got news for you. You know, if it's something you like. I mean, there's even been times when I have asked God about something. And he's spoken to me and told me. And I had to disagree with him. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Now, it's easy for me to disagree with Ty, maybe if Ty told me something. He's a very godly man, but I, he's just like me. He's not right all the time, but pretty well. But anyway, you know, he could tell me something. I might say, no, that's not right. You know, or Eldon or whatever, you know, we might be talking about something. And, but if God speaks to you, you know he's never wrong. Amen. Amen. You know, you know when, 
when he spoke to me about this man that time that was terminal disease that was 42 years old, come in, y'all come in. So whenever I asked him, I said, Lord, what is wrong with this man? And, and the Lord told me he has terminal cancer. And he says, now, if you will tell him to call the men of the church or pray over him, I will heal him. Well, I mean, I'm a Southern Baptist deacon, and I ain't never seen this. I wasn't raised in a Pentecostal church, so I'd never seen no anointing with oil. And so I go down a quarter saying, God, you didn't understand. You didn't hear what she said. Can you imagine that? Here I'm arguing with God. But, I mean, I didn't have enough knowledge. I, I could not go there. But, of course, we did finally, the Lord finally did get my attention. I went to that man. And, of course, that man, when I went to him and told him, he wouldn't believe it either. And isn't it amazing you walk in with the Word of God and tell a man that you got a word from God for him and you read it right out of the book, just like I did it to Ed that night. And Ed says, Herman, I don't believe that. I said, but it's from the Lord. And he would not believe it. And I said, well, if I were to tell you that God spoke to me and told me to tell you this, would you believe it? He said, absolutely not. <laughs> he said, I don't believe you hear from God. Well, let me tell you, I did. I did. And so, a lot of times you tell people something, they don't want to hear it. <laughs> it happens to lots of us. But anyway, the Lord says here that if you're given to appetite, put a knife to your throat if you be a man given to appetite. So, what is he trying to tell us there in this proverb? <laughs> don't be a glutton. You know, control your appetite. I mean, just because you walk into a place where there's a lot of good food, do you have to try to consume it all? No. You know, we should eat small amounts. Now then, be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Be not desirous of those little dainty things, because they're deceitful. Then look what he says. Now this is... this. He says, labor not to be rich. But the average person today, especially a young man out of college, you know, he is driven, you know, to go out and get a good job or to start his own company and to be driven to be laborious so that he can be worth a million by the time he's 30. I mean, how many young men have I talked to that were driven. Now, I don't think there's nothing wrong with being driven. You know, I've been, I've been driven all of my life. I still am. But to be driven to do nothing but accumulate riches is wrong. You know, because I see people that do that, and they, some of them do acquire great riches. I think of this lawyer that by the time he was 35 years old, he had lawyers working for him and everything. And this guy pulled out into a field out here in North Dallas where now big buildings are. He owned a lot of that land and everything. He had bought it. And he had everything any man could ever desire, it appeared. I mean, you know, a big giant office building with a big office upstairs and a penthouse type deal and had money running out his ear driving new Lexuses and new BMWs or whatever. Anything he wanted. Had a different car for every day of the week. I mean, he had everything in the world you could imagine. And then one day, he pulls out in the field out there and opens the door, gets out, picks up a 38, cocks it, and puts it to his head. And he said, I'm fed up with living. Now then, when I say that if we trust God, 
When God's not through with you, there ain't nothing in this world can take you out till He's ready for you to go. It just happened all of a sudden, a Christian man started preaching on his radio. He didn't have it on a Christian station. But a Christian man started preaching on that station, and he sat there with a gun to his head with a hammer cocked and listened. And as he listened, the Lord got through to him. He took the gun down, accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and today that man's an awesome man of God, serving God. Now, see, when you... I mean, that man appeared to have everything. I can see other young men that would have looked at him at 35 with wine, women, and a song, and cars, and offices, and said, if I could only be like him. And he was miserable to the point of taking his life. But the thing he was looking for, he had not found it, but he had a divine appointment that evening in the field. Do you think God was exciting about him pulling the gun out and putting it to his head? No. He could have sent an angel and he could have pulled the trigger and it wouldn't have went off. You know that? God's still in control. It doesn't make any what anybody says. The king is in control. You know, so all you got to do is trust him. Trust him. It's amazing what he can do. Anything. Nothing is beyond him. Then he says, Cease from your own wisdom. Cease from your own wisdom. In fact, so many times in the first few chapters or the first few books of the book of Proverbs, that's all he's talking about is wisdom. He's talking to sons and daughters. He says, get wisdom. Get knowledge. Get understanding. He says, don't do anything without knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Get it. Desire it. Hold on to it. And I think, how in the world can any man get knowledge? Well, you can go to school. You can study. You can get with other wise men. You know, just like today, I was telling them a little story. I went over to get a piece of pipe, and I told the boys that I need to cut it half in two. Actually, I want to cut it ten foot six exactly, and that way it already be exactly right to fit where I want to put it. And he said, well, I never cut pipe. I said, you got a hacksaw? He said, well, yeah. I said, you got a pipe cutter or a hacksaw? He said, well, i got a hacksaw. I said, okay, we'll cut it in two with that, just a piece of one inch. We went outside, and he started looking through the stack, and I said, that's one inch right there. He said, how do you know that? I said, son, i got a lot of years of experience. I've looked at lots of pipe, so I know that's one inch. And he rolled it over, and there was a you know, set of numbers. He said, you're right, that's the one inch. So then we measured it. And I put the hacksaw in it, and I pulled back when I did. I said, whoa, I was going to mark it. I said, somebody put the blade in it backwards. He said, you mean there's a right and a wrong on a saw blade? I said, yes. And so I turned the blade around, and it worked real well, you know. But if you don't know anything about a hacksaw, you don't know where I'm coming from. But let me tell you, those little things, like, just like that boy said, he said, wow, I've learned something today. I said, son, is this the first thing new you've learned today? I said, this what, 1 o'clock or 10 o'clock, 11 or 12 o'clock, whatever it was, in the afternoon. I said, this is the first thing you've learned new today. You've not been too diligently at anything. You know, so I said, I've learned a lot of things already today. And I said, I'm a whole lot older than you are. So I said, you know, when you learn something, 
You need to lock it in your memory circuits. Think about when the Lord says, talk about getting wisdom, getting knowledge. How many people do you hear say, oh, I have probably forgot more about that than most people know? You ever hear anybody say that? I have. I've been in the industry, in the business world. I have seen men that would learn things about trucks or about building equipment or whatever, and maybe they've been there 20 or 30 years, and a new guy would come in and say, oh, I forgot more about that than you'll ever know. They're just joking. But they're, you know what they're doing? Every time they say that, the, the Lord has so much to say in this book, especially in the book of Proverbs, about the tongue. If that man says with his mouth, I have forgotten about that system, then immediately when that comes out of your mouth, goes back around in your ears, goes back into that little part in the back of your brain that says he wants to forget, and so it starts chopping off pieces. I don't say that. I say I'm going to remember everything I've ever learned. I am never going to forget. I'm going to keep it in my memory circuits. And it's amazing. Like somebody said something the other day. said, you know, look at that airplane up there. I said, yeah, that's a... Lockheed Electra. I said, that's got a Allison 501D13 with a 13-16-inch four-blade, fully reversible, uh, negative torque engine and prop and gearbox on the front of it. He said, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, I taught those about 35 years ago as a young man. He said, and you still remember that? I said, of course. I do not forget. I remember everything I've ever learned. Now then, if you constantly talk like that, guess what will happen if you ever need to recall that information? It's still in there on your hard drive. And you can reach in and get it and bring it out. Because you never know when you may need this information. You may not use it for 10 or 20 years. But when you get information, when you get knowledge, like the Lord says in His Word, get knowledge. Then He says, get wisdom. What is the difference between knowledge and wisdom? You gain knowledge by studying and applying yourself and doing. But I've seen men with master's degrees or PhDs and have all kinds of knowledge and still don't know how to do nothing. You know what they missed? Wisdom. And you know there's only one place to get wisdom. You know where that is? From God. And how do you get it? You pray. And you ask Him, you humble yourself before Him and say, Lord, I've done a lot of studying. I've applied myself in many areas. And Lord, I'm getting this knowledge, but I need to know how to use this knowledge for Your glory. And He'll show you and He'll give you that wisdom. And then you can take that wisdom that goes with that and you can learn how to do things. I'll give you a simple example that a lot of people never dream of. They don't know the intricate parts. They don't have the wisdom. And how many people do I know that goes up to a sink and turns on the hot water? Now, they're going to go do something else. They're going to let it run till it gets hot. But instead of standing there and waiting till it gets hot and drawing exactly what they want and turning it off, they leave it on and they do this and that and they rinse this and they go over and hang this up and do this. Why, when they got it hot, when they rinse something, why didn't they turn it off? And then go over and put this up and get another one and come back and put it under there. Because here's what happened. 
when it continued to run, you were costing yourself water. And number two, you were costing yourself a heat transfer, which was put in that either by electricity or natural gas. So your electric bill or your gas bill is going to be higher because you could have used hot water, done exactly what you needed, and turn it off. Don't let it run because you're wasting it. In other words, with these big Hobart FT dishwashers, when I first went to work for the corporation I was working for, they had these big automatic devices on them that had these nozzles that wear out that was in brass that sprayed hot water supposedly five gallons a minute down on the belt. Well, you know, so that's just the way the machine operates. But see, I think deeper than that, and I take the wisdom that God has given me, and I go in and look at those machines, and I think, you know, they sit there and run those belts, and every time you put the, push the button to start the belt, this solenoid valve opened to dump five gallons a minute of hot water at 180 to 195 degrees to sterilize the dish on the belt. There ain't no dishes in there. The belt's 36 feet long, and this thing is over halfway back before you get to it. So if you've got dishes you want to wash or you want to sterilize them, why let that hot water run for the full length of that belt all day long when there's nothing on it? Now, when there's something going through it, that's okay. Why not put a device in there right in front that when the dish gets right to it, it will activate that and the water will come in and now then it'll sterilize the dish when the dish goes by. If there's not another there, it cuts off. And I thought, I could save these people a lot of money. And I did. And out here at Sky Chefs, for instance, they hired me and paid me a pretty decent salary, but they gave me the electrical energy in that building to be responsible for. With the changes I made in the first year in the electricity bill alone, I saved that company $100,000 just on their electric bill. That didn't even come up to my salary. Isn't that amazing? But then when I walked into the water softener area and I saw the way the water softeners were working, I saved them another 10000 a year on salt. And so as it went down through there within the first year, I saved them because of the wisdom that I had sought God for. For the knowledge He had given me all these years, that first year I worked for SkyShift when they moved me over there in 95, I saved them a quarter million dollars on the bottom line in one year. Why had not somebody else done this? Because the man that was there before me, he was not a Christian. And he was not praying. He was not seeking God. And they come to you and say, how in the world do you do this? I said, I get knowledge. I apply myself. I study books. And then I go to the king and I ask him for wisdom. And he shows me how to do these things. That made my company happy. A quarter million dollars in one year is not too bad. But there's all kinds of ways, and I did those kind of things all of my life with those companies I worked for. You know, I'm not just a normal employee. When I walk in, I realize that they've got things that need to be done. And if I'm going to want to get an increase in salary at the end of the year or to keep my job, I've got to be there. I've got to be there on time every day. I've got to work diligently every day. 
I was always early in the morning. I always stayed late in the afternoon, although I was a salaried employee. And when I was there, I was producing. And I never had a problem getting an increase in salary every year. Because I had diligently sought for knowledge, and I had studied, and then I sought God for this wisdom. How to do this? And you just stop and think. In fact, one of the men told me today at the minister center we were talking, he said, I notice you going around every afternoon when people start leaving, going home, you start raising the thermostats. I said, yeah, because that cost us lots of money. If I happen to miss it and come back in the next morning and it's still 72 there, I said, you know, I don't really ever want to see a thermostat set before 75, lower than 75, because anybody in here, they can't work at 75 degrees. They need to come out there with me in the barn where it's 100, where I'm soaking wet with sweat. And then when they come in, it'll be so cold in there, they can't stand it. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I've been one of those kids that was out in the hay barn. You know, I mean, when you go out and haul hay. In fact, Ty told me something here a while back. He, I don't know how many years ago this was. He was much younger than he is now, I think. But he decided he wanted to square bale a few bales of hay. So he went out and bought him a new square baler. He got a, had a, has a big ranch. And he said they baled some hay. And then when they hauled it, he remembered why he got rid of his square baler. <laughs> if any of you have never hauled hay in the summertime, and that's always when hay's ready, right? That's wisdom, see? When the wisdom came, the Lord would tell him, hey, you can take those big round bales and you can take those tractors and pick it up and haul it to the barn a whole lot easier than you run out there and 60 or 70 pounds at a time, pick it up, put it on a trailer. And, of course, you go out there and pick up one 70-pound bale. It's not too bad. But if you do those all day long. <clears throat> and when I was in the valley, when I had that, air, that irrigated farm down there, I bailed alfalfa. And my dad always bailed the hay heavy, at least 70 pounds to the bale. And I, he was just him bailing and me picking up. I didn't have nobody to drive the truck. So I'd drive the truck up at first and go get a bale and put it on, go around and get one, put it up, and then go pick it, move the truck up. One day, because of wisdom, the thought come to my mind, why don't you tie the steering wheel, put it in compound, and just let it idle? So I did. I let the truck drive between two rows, and I would run, and I'd pick up, and I could go down and pick up a whole row and never have to stop the truck. Man, did my productivity go up, you know? I mean, it's amazing. I had to run to do it, you know, but I could keep up. Now, where do you get that kind of wisdom? From God, you know? So that, that's what you can do if you get wisdom. Then he says, labor not to be rich, cease from your own wisdom, and if you'll ask God for wisdom, that godly wisdom will allow you to do great and wonderful things in life. <clears throat> well, you set your eyes upon that which is not, for riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Will thou set your eyes upon that which is not? Yeah, we're in Proverbs, yeah. Proverbs 23, verse 5. Riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away 
as an eagle toward heaven. Will you set your eyes upon that which is not? What do you think he means there? Setting your eyes upon that which is not. Do you know people in life that have had dreams of things that never could come to pass? You set your eyes upon something. Maybe, maybe for instance, you're a normal educated person, high school, and you're just carrying a menial job, you know, a normal job, and all of a sudden you decide you want to drive a new Lexus. But you only make $300 a week. It would be very difficult for you to set your eyes upon that kind of a goal until you get some of a, a job that pays more money than $300 a week. You have to learn to put your eyes upon things that are achievable, not upon things that are not you can't achieve those kind of things. Start out little. And if, if you will serve God, if you will take the Lord, and you'll take what little He's given you. And He starts us, nearly all of us, He starts us out small. Very few people in life just have a million dollars handed to them. And say, Terry, oh, you're 18 years old, my girl. Let me give you a million dollars to put in your bank account. Okay. <laughs> You know what? Most men that have money, when they leave it to their children, if they think they might die before their children get to 25 or 30 years of age, you know what most men do in their wills or in their trust or whatever? They set them up so that their children can get a limited amount of money each year. Because I think about, in fact, Ty and I was just talking about a person the other day that her husband got killed. This was older people, too. I mean, you know, mid-years. Her husband got killed in an accident, and she got a million-dollar settlement. And another guy came right in and swept her off of her feet. And in a year, he had spent the entire million dollars. Lovely guy, wasn't he? But they're out there. Those kind of men are out there. They're a nickel, a dozen. I mean, a dime a dozen. You can find them all over the place. They're out there for one thing. They want the riches and what they can get. They're not there to conserve and help and, and come in and show her how. And if she'd have met the right man, he could have not put his eyes on the riches. But he could have said, you know, you are a wealthy woman. You have a million dollars. Let's go and get the advice of several other godly men. Not one. Let's get three or four godly investors and let's see how we can invest this money where it will make the most amount of money. And then they could have sought out three or four. You don't ever go to one you go, unless you really know who they are. You go to three or four. She could have been married to a man if he'd have been a real man of God and they could have had thousands of dollars a year coming in for the rest of their life and never touched the principal. You know, and lived well. But the way it is, he was a shyster, and he went out there, and he cleaned her out in a year. He spent a million dollars in a year and left her broke. Just a lovely... Wouldn't you like to have a man like that? Yeah. 
wow, I'd like to hold on to him, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh. Then he says, Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Neither desire thou his dainty meats. What does that mean? Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Do you know anybody has an evil eye? We talked about them the other day. Sometimes you see these kind of people, and especially in the area of women. So, in fact, I was talking to Rosemary the other day about something like this, and she said, "There's some people that's all they do. When the men, when he looks at you, he's never looking at your eyes, looking at you everywhere except in your eye. Yeah, he's got an evil eye." And when, when, when you look at a man, he's looking at you everywhere except in your face. You know he's got something wrong on his mind, don't you, Rosemary? Sure, you're a woman. You know that. And the more beautiful the women are in their appearance, appearance, but that's not always the case. That's not always the case. You know, some men look at a woman, it makes them who she is. They just dwell on them. And when a woman, I learned a long time ago, when a woman looks at a man, if he's staring at her, she don't like that. She does not want him to look upon her. She, they, it makes them uncomfortable. And especially if you're looking in the wrong places, it makes them very uncomfortable. They don't want to be around you. You ladies that are here, am I telling you all the truth? You all all have that. You, God made all you all the same, didn't he? So the secret that men need to learn if they're interested in a woman is to give her a glance in the eye, maybe a little smile, and then go do something else. I think about Dr. James Dodson and his wife when they were going together. I heard him tell the story. He said, oh, you all know Dr. James Dodson, I'm sure. Have you ever heard him tell the story about how him and his wife got together in college? He said, man, when I saw this woman, I thought... I couldn't take my eyes off her. I thought, she's the most beautiful thing, but I said, I knew I couldn't look at her because if she saw me looking at her, it was going to run her away. So he said, I would kind of casually go by and a glance and I'd always be looking in her eyes. I said, I'd do that lots of times. Finally, one day I'd look by and she's looking. But since she looked, she'd turn her eyes somewhere else. You know, she wouldn't dwell on me at all. I wanted her to know I was not dwelling on her. And I was just kind of casually interested in her, maybe just a little bit. You know, but I didn't want her to know that she was just the love of my life. He said, I knew what would happen if she ever found that out. And so he said, I just casually glanced at her eyes. said, one day I walked up to her and asked her, you know, you know, would you would you like to go to dinner with me? You know, and she said, no. He said, that's okay. He didn't get upset with her, nothing. So he said, I didn't pursue her no more. Said several months go by, and every once in a while, I just kind of casually look at her eyes, smile. How are you today? So forth. He said, several weeks or what it was, months went by, and I, one day again, I thought, you know, maybe I, I really would like to take you to dinner. You think you might like to go? She said, Yeah, I believe I will. But he said, I had to play it so cool. I was so crazy in love with this woman 
But I knew if I let her know that, I was going to drive her away. And that's the way it is. That's just the way it is. But you have to learn that about people. It's just a way of life. All this comes from wisdom, and you learn it all from eating the Word of God. But it says, Eat not thou the bread of him that has an evil eye. In other words, don't, don't become a partaker of that. If people dwell on things, and I mean, back when I was a kid, you know, in high school or something, one of the guys, a girl, come by and they say, Wow, look at that girl! You know, and I thought, you know, the girls wanted the boys to look at them, but they didn't want them to look too long. You know, they just, there's so many things to learn. But those that have an evil eye, he said, don't be a partaker of what they do. You know, don't become one of them. Learn to look at people in their eyes and not at other parts of their body. Neither desire thou his dainty meats. In other words, as he's dwelling on these things, he's got wrong things on his mind. And the Lord says, don't be a partaker of this. For as he thinketh, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, so are you. Now this is something that's so important. You have to begin to see yourself and think like what you want to be someday or you'll never acquire or obtain that goal. If you see yourself as a loser all of your life, that's what you'll be. If you see yourself as a person that I can do anything, and you only learn that from God's Word. When you study God's Word, that was a scripture that my mother beat into me more than any one scripture, Philippians 4.13. You know, I mean, I quoted that so many times. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You know, and then when I started getting a little knowledgeable about the Word, I'd ask a doctor of theology or something or a preacher, what does that really mean? I mean, it literally says, for I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And, and they give you every kind of answer in the world except the one Jesus said. Jesus said, if you think in your heart that you can do all things, then he said, you have no limitations. That's the way I've made you. You know, it's just amazing that you have to start thinking like God. You know, and how are you going to learn how to think like God? You're going to spend some time with Him and His Word. If you don't spend time with Him and His Word, you will never get to the point where you can think like God. I mean, you can listen to a preacher once in a while on television, or you can listen to your friends. And sometimes your friends, I have seen some of the most knowledgeable people about the Word of God, and they have all the answers, and they've never been to church or never read the Bible in their whole life. You ever seen anybody like that? Oh, I have. Yeah, just like you. Shaking your head, yes. Lots of people have the answers. But where would you find that in the Bible? Well, I don't know, but my grandmother said that. And she's the godliest woman I ever knew. She had to know. Well, let's go see grandmother. Grandmother, how do you know that? Well, my preacher preached on that 25 years ago. Well, where did he find it? Well, I don't know, but I heard it. Well, now it's probably changed ten times since he preached it. At least. So that's why we need to go back to the Word every day 
on a regular basis and spend time with the king. Now, this is the secret that Dave Rosenfeld has come up with in his time with God since he has received his miraculous healing from his incurable disease. This is what God revealed to him. Dave, why it took you so long to get well is because you were not having an actual intimate relationship with me. He said, you were studying the book. You know, you were saying the right things, but your intimacy with me was not sufficient. You didn't have that time with me. He said, yeah, you were reading my word, but you really weren't worshiping me in spirit and truth. And when he finally got to the point where he could really worship him in spirit and in truth, then Dave Rosenfeld, with an incurable, lifelong disease, got well. Isn't that amazing that the Word still works? I think about my aunt called me the other night. This is so sad. Two of her friends, church ladies, go to church, raised in a Baptist church. And since I was raised in a Baptist church, I know how little they know about the Word. Although Baptist people are pretty wordy people, you know, but they just don't believe what they read. And she wanted me to pray for her friend, and so she wanted me to call her, so I called her and talked to her. And she said, Thurman, I'm reading the Bible every day, and I am trusting God to heal me. I said, well, she said, would you pray for me? I said, oh, yes, I'll be happy to pray for you. We prayed. I said, now, I quoted some verses. I said, do you believe those? She said, I sure do. I said, good. Then you're healed. It's a done deal. What you need to do is begin to praise and worship God. She said, oh, yeah. She said, I am praising the Lord. She said, now, I'm going back for another chemo treatment next Tuesday. I said, okay. Okay. Y'all see, you see where I'm coming from? It's so devastating when God says in His Word, when you ask, you must believe with no doubt in your heart that I'll do what I said I will do. He said, because if you don't believe with all your heart, you're double-minded. And he said, that man need not think he shall receive anything from me, the Lord. That's exactly what he said. So if you don't trust him and you're going to share his glory with somebody else, what's going to happen, Terry? Nothing. Probably going to die. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When you trusted him, it changed everything in your life and your children's life and your husband's life and everybody's life. Oh, goodness. Praise God. I'm so grateful. You know, to, to the Word of God and what the King does for us. For as He thinketh in His heart, so is He. Eat and drink, eat and drink, saith He to thee, but His heart is not with thee. As you think in your heart, so are you. So eat and drink. And saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Now, if you're eating and drinking in the Word, and your heart's not with God, it's just like being married and not being intimate with each other. Not loving each other. Living in the same house, but no love. Same thing. You can be in the court with God, 
But if you're not putting him first, not doing what he says, the chances are you'll get very little from the king. You know, the secret thing that I've learned about God, I diligently sought him for ten years. I mean, I pursued him. I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but I was in his word every day. I made time for God almost every day of my life. And some days I spent an hour or two at a time in the Word, and sometimes four or five. When I'd get home in the afternoon, if I get into something that was intriguing, I might sit down and have dinner with my wife, and then I would go in and I would set this before our children came along, and then I would sit down and I would start studying this Word, and I would get so intrigued with what I was reading and studying, I may be in there from 8 o'clock till midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning. I never come out. I'm just reading, praying, Lord, this is good stuff. Lord, do you really mean this? Give me wisdom, knowledge, and understanding from this. And so I was being diligent to seek Him. In fact, a lot of people would say when we'd go out of town on a business trip uh, with engineers, and they say, Thurman, we want to go down and get something to eat at this fancy restaurant while we're down here. I said, no, I'm going to study the Word tonight. I, I, I want to just stay in my hotel. I, I'm, not, I'm not interested in going to eat. I said, I had a sandwich before I left the shop, and so I'm okay till tomorrow. No problem. And I'd get up there, and I may spend when I'm out of town three, four, five, or six hours in one night in the Word of God studying. I didn't realize what I was doing, but I was being intimate with the king. I was, I was sitting in his lap, and he was loving every minute of it, and he was teaching me things. And one day... He's watching me day in and day out. And after about ten years of this, he couldn't stand it no longer. He had to talk to me. Wow. That blew my socks off. The first time God spoke to me, I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. For those of you that have spent that time with him and had the privilege to hear that voice, you know what I mean. Oh, it was clear because this is the way you can t- Good question. Because there's a devil out there that talks to you and the two voices are exactly the same. I've heard both of them. God's voice in 1977, I was in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And when I came to verse 4 and I read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He said, Son, pay attention. I have a message for you in the next few verses. That's how you can tell. That's God. A few years later, I was or a couple of years later, I was at Houston on a Monday morning at 9 o'clock, and I'm going to go by the corporate office to do some paperwork, and I forgot it. And I'm thinking about this job that i got to get done. And I run out there on the job site, and I'm in, out there on the corner of the building under 20,000 pounds of steel that's well-supported, looking at some stuff, and all of a sudden I hear that voice a second time. He said, Son, you forgot to do your paperwork this morning. I heard that voice. I said, Lord, there's nobody out there but me and God. And the devil, of course, he's always there too. I said, Lord, that's right. I was going to go by and do that paperwork as I come by, but I forgot it. I said, but Lord, I just like 15 minutes under here, and then I'll go right back over there and do it. He said, no, son, I want you to go do it right now. Somebody said, well, how do you know that's God? Well, I... 
say, of course, the voice. At that time, I'd only heard this one voice, and I didn't know that the devil sounded exactly like God. I had not heard his voice at the time. But I was obedient to do what he said. And when I crawled out from under there and stood up and took the second step, and the supporting structure holding 20,000 pounds of steel exploded, and it was crashed onto the ground, flaying flat on the ground where I was under there five seconds before, if I hadn't listened to that voice, I'd have been crushed like a bug. Now, since the devil comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, and God comes to give you life and give it to you abundantly, which one do you think that was the second time? That was God too, see, because he saved my life so far. But now the third time I heard it, this is what happened. I was getting ready to be set up for a miracle, and I had a fuel pump fail on my car. And I pulled off into a street. Now, I'm studying the Word of God hours and hours every week. I'm hiding the Word in my heart. I'm trying to learn what faith is. I want to know what it means. I want to diligently pursue God in this book. So I'm doing it. And so I get down to Granbury on a Friday night. My wife and I and two children, Tim and Amanda, were little bitty things. I had a little Toyota that I bought brand new. It was, I don't know, four, five, or six years old. And the fuel pump failed on it, and it stopped running. And I coasted off into a little shopping center there under a street light, and I got out, and I raised the hood, and I had just a few little tools in the back. And I had enough to take the air cleaner off and take the a gas line out. And when I did, I had, honey, I said, would you turn the starter over so we can see if any gas comes out? So she spun it over, nothing. I said, oh, shoot, here we are. At Granbury, 9 o'clock on Friday night, and me in a foreign car, there's not a parts house open nowhere. I said, Lord, I'm dead in the water. What can I do? I mean, how many of you, when you're really intimate with God, you talk to Him, but you don't really expect Him to answer? I mean, you've talked to Him a few times like that, haven't you, Terry? Yeah, I've talked to Him lots of times like that, and most of the time He don't answer right then. But this night, He did also. He said, Son... Did I not say in my word, ask anything in my name, and I will do it for you? I said, yes, Lord, you said that several places. He said, well. So I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to provide enough gas for this car to run 50 miles an hour till I get my wife and children home, and then tomorrow I put a new fuel pump on it. Now then I've got to act on that. I've got to believe that with no doubt in my heart. Doesn't that what the Scriptures say? So I put the gas line back in. I put the air cleaner on. I shut the hood. I turned around, picked up a payphone there, and I picked it up and I said, Mom, I called, dialed the number. I said, Mom, with Thurman, I said, we're having a little car trouble, but we got it under control now. I said, we'll be home in about two hours. She said, Son, are you sure everything's okay? I said, guarantee everything's fine. We'll be home in about two hours. I hadn't started this thing yet. My face talking. I hung up the phone, go around, put the tools up, slam the trunk, get in, and reach for the key. And Betty said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going home. She said, I thought you said the fuel pump was broke. I said, it is. And I still hit the starter. And it started just like that. And I pulled out. And then, as I'm going down for the first time in my life, I heard the other voice. And I heard this voice that sounded just exactly like the other one I'd been hearing. I could not tell them apart. But this is what the second one said. Now, you don't really think that a holy and righteous God would provide gas 
for an old unworthy sinner like you. Now, the two voices sound exactly the same, but the message was dramatically different. The first one was a God of faith that spoke according to His Word. The second one was a God of deception that was trying to get me to doubt so that car could make it stop running. But I said, I'm not doubting. I'm going home. I mean, I'm talking out loud. I am fighting a battle in the spirit world that lots of people never get to fight. But I had the privilege to do it. And as I got out on the road, I mean, I continued to say, I'm going home. I said, I am not an unworthy sinner. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I used to be an unworthy sinner. But when I got washed in the blood, you can't go by what you see. You've got to go by what the Spirit says. And the Spirit says, He's made me a new creature. Hey, I didn't look any different. A lot of times I didn't talk any different. And a lot of times I didn't act any different. And it was not on my righteousness or my holiness that that car was running. But it was by faith in the name of the only one that never made a mistake. And that's our King. And I was standing on His Word. I was His Son. I got out and started down the road. And speed limit was 35 there for about a mile or two I got out the edge of Granbury. And then the speed limit went up to 55. I thought, oh, great, running like a champ. I said, we going home. I push her down and it goes up to 50. And that's as fast as it'll run. 50. And then I thought, why? Because oh, I, I push it all the way down and it'd run 50. And I go up that hill and it's still running 50. When I get to the bottom on the other side, it's still running 50. And I thought, now wait a minute, as an engineer... This don't make any sense at all. This car, then I thought, oh my lands, Lord, that's what I asked for. Enough gas to run 50. Now see, he taught me a tremendous lesson right there. I am a faith God. You can't ask me for anything and I give it to you except you ask in faith and then I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for. See, that's like the first time I asked since I, after I learned that principle. That's why I've got to work for so many people when I ask the Lord to heal them. I used to take a guy, say a guy like Ty come in and he wasn't a faith man. And he said, I've got a headache and I want you to pray for me. And I lay my hand on rebuke the headache and it goes away. I'm a real man of faith. And the headache goes away. And I've done that many times for people. And he thought, next day come and said, hey, I need you to pray for my arm. It don't work good either. All we asked for was a headache yesterday, right? That's all we got. It's, it, since he's a faith God, you say, Lord, we rebuke this spirit and cause his headache to go away. There might be every kind of thing in the world. You imagine we're wrong with his body. Is God going to heal them? No. Because we didn't ask for nothing else, did we? He is a faith God. And this is one of the greatest secrets I've learned from the Word. That I am a faith God. And he says, without faith, it is impossible to please me. Well, let me tell you, if you can't please God, you know what you're going to get from him? Zero. He's no respecter of person. He does not waver. You come and you can be hurting. You can be dying. You can have the worst thing in here. And you ask and you don't ask in faith. Or you ask and you got sin in your life. You have not repented your sins first. You know what you're going to get from it? Nothing. That's exactly right. Nothing. But when you come in faith saying, Lord, you said. In fact, I had a great praise report the other day. A lady... She said, I've been listening to your teachings about faith. And she said, 
I went out and got in my car, and the tilt wheel on my car wouldn't work. It was locked up. So she said, I took it to the dealer. And the dealer checked it, and they said, well, they couldn't get to it till next week, whatever day it was. I forget, Tuesday, I think she said. But anyway, she said, they can't get to it till next Tuesday. So she said, okay. She said, but my car is going to work. Because I'm going to pray and ask God to fix my car. She said, I listen to a man that prays for people for cars, and he gets them healed. So if he gets the cars healed, he can heal my car. And so she said, I prayed for my car. She said, Lord, I want to thank you that my steering wheel and everything is going to work like it's supposed to in the name of Jesus. She said, I went out and got in the car the next day, and somebody's in there said, well, did you get your car fixed? She said, well, no, I didn't get it fixed, but let's see. I prayed last night. Let's check and see if it works. Uh, Deborah, you're shaking your head like there ain't no faith there, girl. You've been there and done that, huh? She said, we tried it and it would not work. It would not work. And so she said, I went back and I was listening to another one of your tapes where you said, you have to pray in faith, nothing wavering. She said, Lord, I wavered. I unbelieved. She said, Lord, forgive me. I repent. Now, see, he understands that, doesn't he? She said, my car is fixed. It works perfect. She said, they told me to bring it down there Tuesday. I have an appointment. But she said, I'm not even going to check it. But I know it's fixed. Amen. She said, I'm going to take it down there and I'm going to leave it. And they're going to call me and tell me there ain't a thing wrong with my car. But I know it's fixed. There's no doubt in my mind it's fixed. She said, I went and got in the car in the morning and drove it down there. And I walked back in the foreman. I said, y'all can check it when you want to. But when you check it, call me because I know it's already fixed because I prayed. <laughs> and she said, in about an hour, they called me where I work and said, your tilt didn't work last week. We went out there and got it. works perfect. She said, I knew that. I just wanted you all to see that God answers prayer. <laughs> see, she had already told them. It's fixed. It's working. There's faith in that, isn't there, Elder? That's exactly right. So, when you, when you hear these voices, and let me tell you, Scott asked a great question there because there's two voices out there. One of them is God and the other one's the devil. And if you're not well trained in the Word, the enemy will deceive you every time. Every time. He will deceive you. Yeah, I can think, in fact, just last Sunday, we were talking about some things that we did when we were young and stupid. You know, and Ty was talking about when he went to college, you know, some of the things he did and some of the stuff he did and some of the drugs he sampled and all that kind of stuff. I just backed off and said, I can't believe you as a doctor could be that stupid. Now, I wouldn't tell that to everybody, but he's my good friend. I could tell him that. But he was young and dumb. Wasn't you, Ty? Yeah. See? But he's a whole lot older and wiser now. See? So that voice that comes to him through those guys. I mean, a guy, one of your best friends, come on, let's go take a little list and get on a high today. Hey. It sounds like fun, huh? And you did it. But you ain't doing that no more, are you, Ty? No, you ain't done that in a long time. No. But you see how easy the voices don't necessarily always come by a spoken word from outside to your brain. Sometimes they come from another human being. In fact, that's the way usually the enemy works, is through another human being. That's the way he will attack you, through another person. He'll put a thought in their mind so he'll give voice to it. And you'll listen. I mean, it, he, he comes in so many ways. But that's why I'm saying, that's why God told us 
in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, study my word to show yourself approved unto me. Not to man, but to me. He said, if you're not willing to study my word to show yourself approved unto me, he said, don't expect to get anything from me. And that's why so many people that are in the church never see an answer to prayer. Because they've not been obedient to do what the king says to do. He is no respecter of persons. But he does speak. In fact, let me ask you all this question. Uh, Some of you I know in here have heard that authoritative or audible voice of God. Who in here tonight knows that they've heard that authoritative or audible voice? Wow. There's several of you with your hands up. But now let me ask you this. How many of you know God has put thoughts in your mind through your spirit to do things for other people? Everybody can raise your hand on that. If you've served God, He will speak. To, he tells us. He communicates with us through our spirit. And, of course, a, a lady asked me Sunday, how do I know that? I thought it's real easy. You're driving down the road and all of a sudden a thought comes to your mind. Turn, make that next turn go over and see Sister Sue. She's not feeling well last week. You need to go by and visit her a minute. And then right behind that, another thought comes and says, but if you pull off, you're going to miss your engagement. Now, you, you heard both from God and the devil right there. You see where I'm coming from, Terry? See, the devil's always there. Always there. You know, just like God is. So, whenever the Lord speaks to you by your spirit, and see, we don't understand that that spirit's to, to us. God's spirit, which lives in us, is talking to our spirit, and our spirit is communicating with our mind. And our mind, we get a thought, comes to our mind. Oh, Sister Sue or Brother John lived down that road right there. And you heard only last week he wasn't doing too well. You might ought to run by and visit him a few minutes. Now, you can be assured that's coming from God. That's by your spirit. You didn't hear an audible voice, but he speaks to us like that all the time. All the time. In fact, one day I was coming down the road out here trying to get to a place to speak out here in Garland. And I got away from the minister center way late. And I thought, there's no only way I know to get there is come all the way down 35 to 635 and go around and go back up to where I wanted to get. And I thought, oh, well, the traffic, there's no way. No, Lord, I said, there ain't no way I can get there. I know I'm going to be late. I said, Lord, i got to have some help. Please, Father, show me which roads to take. And I'm coming down 35. And all of a sudden, this just as clear, this thought came to my mind. Take the George Bush. I ain't never been on a George Bush. It's brand new. It just opened. On the right-hand side, there's open bridges hanging off out here. And I thought, take the George Bush? I said, that way there ain't nothing to take. And I thought, you know, I'm fighting this now, you know. Uh, Some of you all know where I'm coming from. You've had to do this. I'm fighting this thought, and I'm getting closer. All of a sudden, I hear again this thought comes from my spirit to my mind. says, take the George Bush. And so I just, I don't want to, but I do. And as soon as I make that, and now I'm committed, I said, okay, Lord, I hope you know where you're going. If that ain't a dumb statement. How many of you know that the Lord knew where the George Bush went? He watched it being built every day. He knew where it went. So I go over there and run through a toll, go through another toll and another toll. When I get to that third toll, I ask a guy, I said, sir, I don't have a clue where I am. I said, do you know where 190 is? He said, this is 190. I said, this is 190? He said, yes. 
I said, well, I'm looking for a certain exit. He said, it's the next exit. I went up there and exited off, and there was a place I was supposed to speak, and I got there 15 minutes early. Now, see, when you, when you listen to the Spirit, that's what happens to us, isn't it? But how many times does the Spirit speak to us and those thoughts come to our mind and we don't yield to them? You know, we go the wrong, we listen to the second voice that comes right behind it. Oh, if you were to take that, you know, it would, you know but I, that day I didn't really hear anything except God. That day, only the Lord. He was just tell, told me twice, my Spirit, take the George Bush. Well, I didn't know where it went. But praise God, I did after that day. I was praising the Lord after I got there and thought, you know, then I can say, Lord, I'm sure glad I listened to your spirit. And I'm sure he looked down and said, if you'd only listen to me all the time, instead of once in a while, we'd both have a better day. Because there's nobody to listen to him all the time. I, I've never met the human being. That, I don't care how well trained you are. Nobody ever yields to that spirit 100% of the time. If we could get to where we could, and if we'd spend more time with God, we'd get to where we would pay attention to this. So we need to listen to that. Then he says, what verse were we on? I've completely got eight. The morsel which thou hast eaten shall thou vomit up and lose thy sweet or pleasant words. In other words, if you eat these things up here, if you eat and drink these things that we're not supposed to eat and drink, what does he say will happen to them? We will vomit them up. And they won't taste sweet. They might have tasted sweet going down. Praise the Lord, it's been a long time since I've upchucked anything, since I've learned how to walk by faith. But I used to do that quite often. That's before I learned that I could control my whole body with my words. But when I learned that, I, don't, I haven't had that problem. I Praise the King. I, and I know it's been 25 or 30 years since I've thrown up anything. But I used to be sick quite often, and I know lots of people are. But since I've learned that my words are the most powerful thing in the universe, when I speak them, because God, the King that made this, said whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you will have it. That's something, isn't it? And then he makes this statement over Matthew 12:47. I believe it's in Matthew 12:47 that you will be judged by every word that comes out of your mouth. Every idle word, your words will either condemn you or your words will justify you. When you learn that, you find out that nothing is just a word. It has power behind it. Power to live or power to kill. Because the Lord says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And every man shall eat the fruit of his tongue. So that means all of us, lost or saved, it doesn't make any difference. Then he says, speak not in the care 
of a foot. Speak not. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Speak not in the ear of a fool. Speak not in the ear of a fool. He will despise the wisdom of your words. How do you know? It's difficult. Do you know that? It's difficult to know who you're talking to when you talk. That's why you have to learn to be led by the Spirit. And when you're led by the Spirit of God, you will say things that God has inspired you to say. And if you're led of the Spirit, the Lord will put the words in your mouth and then He will bring them to even the fool. And the fool, He can move upon that person's heart. And change them from a fool to a man of wisdom. He can do that. If you pray for people, you can change it. But now, if you, if you don't pray for people, and you don't ask the Lord to do great and mighty things, when you speak to a fool, he may, who knows what he may do? No telling. But he says he will definitely despise the wisdom of your words. He will despise what you say. But yet you were telling him the truth. You were telling him what God said. But he didn't want to hear it. Remove not the old land, the landmarks, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. For their Redeemer is mighty. You shall plead their cause with you. Apply your heart unto instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. You know, most of us, when we went to schools of higher learning or whatever, I was pretty well a dummy in high school. You know, I, I, I didn't have any wisdom. I really didn't care about learning. I only enjoyed a couple of subjects in high school. And the couple I did, I mastered them. Math, I loved it. Mastered it. I mean, you know, just so easy. Some people, and my son's just the opposite. Math is his hardest subject. But that was my easiest subject. English was my hardest subject. That's pretty obvious when you listen to me talk. <laughs> I never, I, I still couldn't diagram a sentence. You know, I, I, there's so many things I couldn't do when it comes to English. But I just went through school just trying to get through. So the Lord's telling me here, I'm a fool. 
He says, get a hold of this knowledge. Well, see, I didn't, I didn't know these things. But when I got out of high school and had to go into the military a few years later, when I went into their schools, I thought, if I'm going to be working on these airplanes, I really need to learn this material. And so I did. I studied, and I really studied. And if I made less than a perfect score on any test, I was not happy with myself. I wanted to be perfect. And then when I got out of the Air Force and went back to school again, I wanted to master every subject I went through. And if I made anything less than a perfect score, I was unhappy with myself. But the Lord's telling us here to get this knowledge. Be diligent about this. In fact, I was sitting and talking with a gentleman just a few weeks ago. He said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I saw a man that worked for you a few years ago. And he said, he said something to me that I've never forgotten about you. Now, see, I've worked with a lot of men in my life. He said, Thurman is the first man I've ever worked for that knows what he's doing. In the engineering field, he knows every aspect of it. And when, you tell, when he tells you to do something, if you'll do what he says, he said, you'll have no problem getting along with Thurman. And everything you do will work out perfect. He said, I learned that real quick about him. He said, he's the first man I ever worked for that knew what he was doing in every area that he worked. And said, as long as he told me to do something, I didn't try to second guess. I didn't try to do it another way. He said, and he and I got along perfect. And this man told me, he said, I've observed you ever since that man told me that a long time ago. And he said, the one thing I've learned about you, when I come to you and ask you for something, he said, if it's anything to do with the engineering field, he said, when you give me an answer, I have come to realize when I go and check it out, it's never been wrong. He said, you have a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge. I said, I spent a lot of years studying. It didn't come easy. Do you know that's true? That when you work for someone, and you know one of the things that drove me to be like that? When I was in the military, the masters, the senior master sergeant that was over my division, I could go to him with some of the simplest questions about these electronic flight control systems. I said, sir, I'm having a problem fixing this system. I don't quite understand this. Could you explain this to me? He said, no, I don't know how it works either. He said, go over and talk to one of those other guys. Maybe they can help you. And I'd walk off thinking, this guy's the boss? And he's the senior master sergeant over this whole division here? And he doesn't even know how one of these flight controls work? I said, Lord, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to learn how that thing works in every part of it. So if I ever get there... And one of these young men like me come in and want to know something. I'm going to say, sure, son, come in and sit down and listen to me, and I'll tell you how this thing works. And that's the way I went through my life. And so all those young men that worked for me, when they come in and sat down, I knew what I was talking about. Most of them listened, but some of them didn't. Some of them, you tell them how it worked, and they think, no, it couldn't possibly work like that. And then they go out and they mess something up. And then they wonder why I'm upset with them when I'd sat and spent an hour or two in my office explaining to them in detail, maybe even going out there on the project and showing them how it worked, and then they do it a different way. They want to know why I'm upset with them? Hey, 
it's easy to understand when you know what you're doing. And if you explain it to someone else, all they got to do is listen. Well, that's what the Lord's telling us right here. Get this knowledge. Now then, did I always have this knowledge? No, absolutely not. How many years did it take to get it? All my life. I've learned all the time. I can think about whenever I started working on cars in the Chevrolet house, whenever the foreman says, pull the head off that thing, we're going to do a valve job on it. I said, pull the what off? He said, the cylinder head. I said, how do you do that? He said, you come over, you see that long cover right there, those two bolts on top? I said, yeah. He said, take those off. I said, okay. So I take a wrench, take them off, and turn it upside down. He said, now take the rocker arms off. I said, what's rocker arms? Hey, I didn't know nothing. My computer was blank. But once I did it one time, now then, I, now he says, pull the head off that thing, we do a valve job on it. Man, I, I got it. Now then, if we want to go further than that, pull the pistons out. Now, I don't know how to do that yet, but I can pull the head off. Knowledge. Get it, burn it into your memory circuits, pay attention to what you're doing, and don't forget anything. Lock it in. Say, Lord, I will retain all of this knowledge so I can do this. In the name of Jesus. Get this knowledge. Withhold. What, Terry? What Frank say there? Oh, <laughs> he didn't say nothing. He did say something too, didn't he? Withhold not correction from the child. Now, what was it you said there, Frank? I didn't say anything. Oh, what did you say, Terry? Oh, okay. Then we won't go into it then. Okay. Withhold not correction from the child. For if you beatest him with the rod, he will not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod. And she'll deliver him his soul from hell. <laughs> what did God tell you to do to your children? Discipline them. But he put it in clear language. He said, beat them with a rod, didn't he, Elvin? <laughs> not the rod. You know, we had a doctor here a while back. I was many of you know, back when I was raising my children. This guy came out and he says, you're not to spank your children. I was just book written on it. Dr. Spock. Anybody remember this guy? Don't spank your children. Well, you know what? That is totally contrary to what the Word of God says. The Word of God says a child is to be beaten with the rod when they do not, for discipline when they do not obey. Now, I'm going to tell you something about men. That a lot of you don't know. Men, much more so than women, men learn from pain. Not necessarily so much so for women, but a man. And this is something 
a woman has such difficulty in understanding. We as men, when we do something and we have to do it in pain, we learn and we never forget. It's burned into our memory circuits. And if more than likely you had to spank both your girls and your boys, but probably your boys many more times than your girls. I know you don't have any girls, but I think about Tim when I was raising Tim. I didn't have to spank him too many times, but I did give him several pretty good little whippings. And when he got grown, you know what he told me? He said, Dad, you didn't beat me near as much as you should. He said, my son's not going to get by with what I got by with. (laughs) I said, well, you turned out pretty good. Well, the other day I was... He and I, I stopped by the field house for a minute. He said, come in here, i got a question about the Word. I said, oh man, I love this when my son's got a question about the Word. He was in the Word, so I run into his office, and an hour later I finally got out, and all we did is talk about the Word. And if we're talking about the Word, I said, oh, by the way, and we was talking about some of these things, I said, do you have to spank Preston very often? He said, probably not more than five times a day. I said, wow. And he said, it's going to get more intense if he don't straighten his act up. I said, wow. He said, oh, Dad, I never, never realized, you know, how many times you should have busted me that you didn't, that you were merciful to me. I said, well, you know, God's pretty merciful to us too. Probably he should have busted me a whole lot more than he has. I've made so many mistakes. But I said, you have learned. He said, Dad, if I don't spank him, he said he goes wild. He just takes everything. He said, and said, if I don't spank him, he said, and said, if I spank him, sometimes I, I don't want to hurt him. But since if I don't really lay it on him, he said, he may, in five minutes, he's doing the same thing again. But he said, if I really put one on him and really hurt him and he really cries, he said, it may be a day or two or three before he does it again. <laughs> or he has to forget, you know. But see, what the Lord say do? What did, the Lord, what did the Lord say in His Word to do to your children? Beat them with the rod. And said, if you do, you'll save their soul from hell. Now think about this. If you don't discipline your children, your children will learn no discipline and they will not learn that there's authority. And one day, and I've seen this so many times with so many people, that if they don't learn discipline at home, then when they get bigger, they'll not, be, they'll not think there's any discipline anywhere. And they'll go do exactly what they want to do, when they want to do it. And I'm going to guarantee you that man will, or sometimes even women, but for sure a man, he will wind up in prison and be broken by a system before he ever comes back to where he should be. But somewhere he'll learn that discipline And it will be, I mean, my own son-in-law, he'll tell you right now, he went through that same thing. When Toby and Amanda got married, Toby went out and did what he wanted to do. He went out and got drunk. He did drugs. He did everything he wanted to do. And I tried to tell him, Toby, you're a grown man now. You've got to get away from that junk. You've got a family. You've got things to do. You can't just go out and play. You've got to take care of your family. Well, he did not. Heed my words of wisdom from the Word. And of course, it 
somewhere along the line there, a few years into the marriage, Amanda was killed in a car wreck. And, of course, Caitlin wound up like she did, and we had to pray her through that. And Toby continued to go out and do things he shouldn't have done. And I spent hours with that guy, prayed over him, did everything I knew to do. And finally one day I just told God, I said, God, I have sat down with him. I've told him what your word says. I've set him at my table. I've had Bible studies with him. I've prayed over him. I did everything. I said, he's not hearing these words of wisdom that you're giving me. He's totally letting them fly over his head. And he's doing what he wants to do. So I said, Lord, it's obvious that Tim and I have prayed for him hours and hours and we can't help him. So I said, Lord, I'm going to turn him over to you, and I want you to get his attention. And shortly he was in prison for three months, but three months didn't break him. He got out of prison, and he was just as mad at the world as he was when he went in. And he went back and right to drinking and, and getting speeding tickets, and it wasn't long. There's a warrant out for his arrest. This time they pick him up. This time he spends a year in jail. At a year, he came to his senses. It was pretty rough in there. Some of those boys are pretty hard on you. Finally, one day, he says, is this the way I want to spend the rest of my life? I don't think so. Maybe those things that Tim and Thurman told me were true. And so today, the young man is out of prison. He's working, and he talks to you like a normal individual for the first time in his life. He's off of drugs, no drinking, no alcohol, no nothing. He's working. But it took a year the second time in prison and three months the first time to break him now then, you know what he told us the other day? He said, all of this could have been avoided if my mother and daddy would have disciplined me at home. He said, I had no discipline. He said, I had a mother and daddy at home, but neither one of them made me do anything. I did what I wanted to do. And he said, because of no discipline, I've wasted 35 years of my life. What a shame. What a shame. But people say, don't beat your child. Dr. Spock says, don't beat your child. You'll do harm to them. The Word of God says you'll save their soul from hell. Amen. I mean, that's what the Word says. It's right here in the book. Amen. Beat your child. You will not kill them. And you'll drive the evil far from them. Now, who do you think knows the best? The Creator that made us, that wrote the book? Or Dr. Spock? No question there, is there, Terry? You know the answer to that. You've you raised three boys. You're, you've had to spank them once in a while, too, haven't you? Daddy does? <laughs> yep. Well, that's the way it should be. You know, Mama shouldn't have to spank boys. The daddy should be there. And when they do something wrong, you say, Son, when your daddy gets home, I'm going to tell him what you do. And the fear should fall upon that boy. When daddy walks in, he ought to be in fear saying, Daddy, daddy, be merciful. What'd you do? What'd you do, son? I did this. Called mommy and mama. Is that what he done? Yeah, only it was a little worse than that. Okay. And you take them and you wear their little backside out with a peach tree or whatever, you know, whatever. Yes, ma'am. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just a minute. Let me get you a mic so everybody can hear your question. A friend of mine was telling me about that gentleman, Mr. Spock or Dr. Spock. His son actually committed suicide. Oh, he did? Yes, he did. And 
Dr. Spock, Mr. Spock, whatever, wrote um, an article and put it in some magazine, one of the top in the U.S., uh, saying that his book, uh, that he recants, say not to discipline your children. Oh. I do, have not read that, but Jan, a lady who is my spiritual prayer warrior with me, had to- told me that, and I said, well, I'm spanking. Oh, yeah. I know what I have. It was girls. I mean, oh, yeah. they're sitting oh, yeah. here, but you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yep. if, if you don't discipline your children with the rod, if you don't discipline with the rod, the Lord says that the evil will be in them and that, that evil could be so powerful in them that it could cost them their soul. We don't want that to happen nobody, do we? No, absolutely not. So, we need to make sure that we get our instruction for life out of this book. He says, if you beat them, he says, With not, withhold not the correction from the child. And says, for if you beat him with the rod, he shall not die. Now, he, should, he may think he's going to when you're beating him. And some of us, when I got some of my spankings, I thought I, was, I knew I was going to die. When Daddy got through with me, I, did you die? There's times you knew when Daddy got through you, it's over. I remember the one time, well, no, I really don't remember this very well, but I was about five or six years old, and Mother tells me, she told me about it. There was a little uh, deal of toothpicks sitting on the table. And I happened to just bump them, and I knocked them over. And Dad looked at her and said, Son, pick up those toothpicks from Mother. And I looked up and I said, No. He said, Son... I said for you to pick those two pick. A while ago, I asked you to pick them up for Mama. Now, I'm telling you to pick them up for Mama. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. He didn't say another word. He walked over to the where his razor strap was. He took it off of the steel. He walked over and he picked me up. And he gave me about three or four extremely hard licks on my backside. And he says, now then, pick them up. And I says, no. And he gave me about three more. My mother said my daddy whipped me so much that day until he finally decided something was wrong with me. He, mother said, I never did pick up them toothpicks. I never did. Now, let me tell you, I am a whole lot wiser today than I was when I was five. Now then, nobody has to tell me to pick up the toothpicks. I pick them up. Why could I have been so stupid and set in my head other than a demon of hell? Because who was I a child of at that time? Of the devil. I was lost. There was a demon of hell working on my mind saying, don't pick them up. And I never did. See, see, until we come to Christ, we're children of the devil. This book says. When we come to Christ, then... The Scripture said we're delivered from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light. But until the time we get saved, we're out there. And, of course, here I am, a five-year-old kid with a demon controlling me. Why would a little child, five or six years old, Daddy spanking his little rear end with a big old razor strap? And Mother said, finally, Daddy, just give up. He said he must have hit me at least 10 or 12 times with that thing. He said he hit me hard. He said left great big red marks on my backside and my legs. And I never did pick them up. It had to be a devil. But see, the Word says it will drive the evil from us. But maybe that day, Daddy liked a few licks driving it from me. If he had hit me a few more times, he might have drove that devil out of me, <laughs> David. 
you know, sometimes it takes a little more beating to drive the devil out of you, depending on how big the devil is. Obviously, I had a big one. You, you raised some boys, didn't you, Ty? One. Well, just one? Five so, Oh, five grandsons. <laughs> okay. So, then boys can be little terrors at times, can't they? Uh, yeah. Even the grandsons can. Yeah, they can. You know, it's amazing what the Scripture has to say about this. I have no idea why I would not pick up them toothpicks. I just, I just can't imagine that. You know, today, I mean, I should have just, you know, well, of course, got to realize I was a child of the devil. And the devil comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So, who knows? The devil might have been in, in the instigator caused me to knock him off in the first place. I really don't know. Because in the spirit world, such powerful things happen that we don't understand. But they're there. And until we get saved, we are children of the devil. This book says. But, boy, nobody wants to believe that. But that's what it says. And so, since that's what it says, I believe it. <clears throat> then it says after he says, Beat your child. My son, if your heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even my heart. You know, here a while back, my son and I was standing out back. It's been a, quite, a, quite a while ago. But he was cooking some steaks out back. Maybe it's been a couple of years ago. And I walked up there to him and I was talking to him for a little while. I said, son, we're just talking. And I'm, he's right here and I'm right here. I said, son, I know I don't tell you this often enough. But I want to tell you how grateful I am for the way you've turned out. I'm so grateful that you're so diligent. That you get up so early every morning and go work and run your place of business. And you go back down there at night. And you're so diligent to work and to try to make a living for you and your family and provide for them. And you spend so many hours. But I said, the most thing I'm grateful that you study the Word. I said, you're always in the Word. When you're at home in your free time, you're studying the Word of God. I said, son, I cannot tell you how grateful I am for the way you've turned out. I said, you just blessed my heart. And he just burst into tears and reached over and grabbed me around the neck. And for ten minutes told me how much he loved me. I was definitely not expecting that. That's for sure. But you know, those kind of times you don't ever forget. I think about how he could have turned out. Like my son-in-law. And what I went through with him. You know, now he appears to be going the right track. But it's taken him all those years to get there. He wasted all of those years. Even like Tim. Tim wasted the first two years of college. You know, I thought he was going to be a professional student. You know, he wasn't passing. He was just, you know, barely. I told him one day, I sat down with him, I said, Son, I want to tell you something. I want you to listen to me. I said, one day when you do get out of college, 
if they go back and look at your grade transcripts and they find that you had C's and D's and it took you six years to go through a three or four year college, no employer in his right mind is going to want you. They don't want a loser. They want a winner. I said, so if you'll get in there and diligently study and make A's and B's and do it in a short period of time, then I said, they will want you. But I said, if you work for yourself, you'll find out that same thing will carry over into your business. And praise God, he did start his own business. The Lord had something, but it has carried over. I mean, that boy is diligent. In fact, when we stopped the other day, I was so proud of him. He said, Dad, my wife's got a nephew, or I forget, cousin, I guess it is. 22 years old. He was raised up without a daddy. He's had a very bad family life. He said, nobody has ever loved him. He really don't know the Lord. He's 22, and he's now been diagnosed at 22 with a brain tumor. A brain tumor. He said, Dad, my heart breaks for him. What can I do for him? I said, well, son, with the wisdom that God has given to you from His Word and what you've learned, you can go and you can get that boy healed. All you've got to do is believe God's Word. Tim's not been one to step out into the healing world much. He lets Dad do that, but he's not been one to step out into that. A few days later, he called me and said, Dad, we're going to go Thursday. I reckon I was going to go see him. We're going to stay with him till about Wednesday of next week. And he said, I'm going to make a new boy out of that boy before I leave there. I thought, here is my son that's going to take almost a week out of his life to go minister to a young man that he barely knows that's been raised up in hell to bring him into the kingdom of God. Does that make you proud of your children? Yes. That When it says there, My son, if your heart be wise, my heart, it'll just burst. That's something, isn't it? I'm so proud of that boy for what he's done. Wow. Yea, my reign shall restore, rejoice. When thy lips speak right things. Is it easy to rejoice when your children do good things? <laughs> I can remember when Amanda would have a play or something. And we'd go to the play. And she might have one little speaking part. But I was so proud of her. When it come her time, I'd think, wow, that's my baby. Look at her up there. She remembered those lines. One line. (laughs) You know what I mean, don't you, Jerry? You got three of them little gritters, you and Frank. I mean, when they do the littlest things, are you proud of them? Well, the older they get, 
if they continue in that wisdom and they walk with God. Like when Tim called me the other day and told me he's going to go up there. Ain't nobody except God knows how big my heart was when he called me to tell me he's going to take a week off and going to go up there and spend time with that boy and get that boy healed and get him saved. He said, the least I'll do, I'll get him saved. Hey, what did the king tell us to do? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the word of God. And to them that will believe the word. It's the power of God unto the salvation of their souls. For those that will not believe, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness. Don't let it be foolishness to you. Let it be the power of God unto salvation. The Lord has said on the cross when He did what He did, He said, It is finished. I have defeated the devil for every one of you. I've given you a plan to go by. And one thing I've learned about this plan from the thousands of hours I've spent in this book, this book is flawless. It was written by 45 different people over 1,500 years. And the books are so tied together with such continuity that you would think one writer wrote the whole thing. And he did, didn't he, Cheryl? The Holy Spirit. As men were moved upon by the Holy Ghost, they penned the Word of God. And many of them said they didn't even understand what they were writing. Because they couldn't. What they were writing hadn't happened yet. But now we can look back and see this. And as you study, and that's the way you learn, you learn that when he said it's finished, he bore our sin so we don't have to sin. He bore our sickness so we don't have to be sick. But we got to get a hold of that. He said, you have to repent of every sin and grab a hold of this. And if you repent of every sin, no unforgiveness. He said, I have zero tolerance for unforgiveness. You cannot hold a grudge and get healed. You have to do what God says. Wow. When he says it's finished, it took me years of learning and understanding and study to grasp when he said, it is finished. But when I grasp it, wow, and begin to do what he said, the miracles that he saw. You don't mind if I tell a little of your story, do you? Here's a lady that when she came to me the first time, her husband was ready for a divorce. She was ready for a divorce. They'd been married nine years. Their children were all sick. One of them critical. And I told her what her problem was. And she didn't like it. Didn't like it at all because I told her the truth. So on the way home, she really got in God's face. And the Lord told her what the problem was. He told her, said, Terry, do you know what it means when I tell you to submit to me? Well, yeah, Lord, that means obey you. He said, that's right. 
exactly what it means. Obey me. You're to submit to me. You're to obey everything I put in that book. So what do you think I meant when I told you to submit to your husband? Lord, you mean i got to obey him? <laughs> A lot of women made that statement. Over, I don't know whether she said over my dead body or his dead body, but one of the two. <laughs> over his dead body. That's what she said. said, I'll obey him over his dead body. And the Lord spoke to her and says, no, over your children's dead bodies. That got her attention. So she went home and really sought the word and found out what it said. And she repented. And then she walked into this man that was ready for a divorce and said, Frank, we've got to talk. And he was ready. He knew it was going to be a divorce. And he knew he was ready for it. And he knew she was ready for it. And she said, I repent. I will submit to you and obey you. And it so softened Frank's heart. I bet you've never forgot that day, have you, Frank? Never. It changed their lives forever. Put them back into a love walk. She became the woman that would submit and obey to do exactly what her husband says because he's a godly man. She submitted. And by submitting very shortly, all of their children were back completely healed. And the one that already had surgery on one leg and the other leg was beyond surgery. And he was going to be an invalid and in a wheelchair. And in a matter of months, the boy's completely healed, and today he's running and playing. Praise God. I love to tell those kind of stories. I may not get them all just right, but when the couple's sitting right here, and if you want to get the story in detail, you need to get what she's written. It's awesome. I really would love to put that on my website. Yeah, just get me a full copy of that, Terry. Well, if, I, if, we do, if you have it, do it, and I'll have Dave put that on. Your, yours and Frank's testimony is so powerful. Oh, okay, it's there? Okay, maybe I'll put a link. I'll have Dave put a link to Lugenheim.com, and that would be good, too. You wouldn't mind that, would you, Frank? Because their testimony is so powerful. See, they had no idea that their sins, what was, what was killing their children. They didn't know that. But once they learned that and they repented and got right with God, now they got three healthy children. And, of course, the one little boy, if you had the story about how he screamed with the pain and the suffering when they'd done the surgery on the first leg. It was so painful. And he didn't want to have it done, but they knew they had to have it done. But the second leg, whenever it got good enough where they could have done it, he again screamed and wanted it done. But Terry and Frank said, no, this time we're trusting God. We're trusting God. And they would not let the doctors operate on the second leg because it was coming back. In fact, if I remember, it seemed like the Lord spoke to you and said, Today, Terry, y'all are going to be put to the test. Wasn't that right? Yes. And, and when I went that day was the day they told me, Oh, well, it's, it's better. We can do surgery. Yeah, yeah, that's what they said. And I said, Oh, oh no. no. Now you know what you meant when he said y'all are going to be tested because he's healing it. And when you didn't let them do the surgery, he healed both of them. And today, just the other day, they were all here. The boys were here. And that guy's just running. He's healthy. But yet, if you hadn't obeyed God's Word, your son would be in a wheelchair today. Wow. Awesome. See, we don't understand when we do it God's way. Here is a woman that listened to me 
by telling her what God says. And she went and did what God says. And it restored her marriage and healed all of her children. But she didn't like what I told her. The day I told her. But she went and checked out what I said with God. And he told her the same thing. Amen. Praise the Lord. But Jesus can hear anything. Right. Amen. But anyway, I'm going to have a link because that testimony of y'all's is outstanding. It's been so wonderful. So I'm going to, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I praise you and thank you for the word. I praise you and thank you for this magnificent owner's manual that you've given us and the time it takes to study it. Lord, to meditate on it. And Lord, when we study it like this, meditate on each verse and each word and think about them, you really are able to talk to us through your word. We can't read the Bible like a novel and get anything. We have to meditate on it. You said dig in it like we're mining for silver and gold. And Lord, that's what we've been doing tonight with those few verses. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for using your word and letting us see it, and using it for your glory, to bring glory and honor to your name. And Lord, as we go from here tonight, make every one of us a different person. May none of us be the same tonight as we came in. May we all be better because of your word. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.